Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. How are we doing, friends? We good? Good. I don't feel like I was just here a couple weeks ago, and so I feel like I don't have to do the whole introduce myself thing, right? If you don't know me, I'm Caleb. We good? Yeah. 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 Uh, this is my home church. Spent a lot of time here um, from the beginning to all the way a couple years ago, and uh, happy to be in front of you, so I don't need to go into that. But I do stand up here in front of you from the last time I was here, a new man. I need to tell you why. I, uh, I have, I discovered last year, God uses different tools in our lives, right? And you're like, yeah, some tools, like some things the world offers are bad. Sometimes God uses things for good. In this case, TikTok has made me a brand new man. Let me tell you why. <laughs> Via TikTok, I discovered that I have a condition, a real condition. All my life, we've joked that Caleb has, I've never been able to burp in my entire life. Incapable of burping. You know, the Sprite challenge, everyone's drinking Sprites. I'd be like, I would win it every time. Through TikTok, I find out there's a condition known as RCPD. It's a real thing. Doctor just diagnosed it like 18 months ago. This person's doing it. We go down a Reddit rabbit hole. You know, all these things can be bad, but they can also be good. So we're digging into this, and I'm like, I think I have this. Um, my wa- actually, my wife thinks I have this, because I know this, because I'm on a field trip with my daughter, and she calls me, and she goes, I just scheduled you a surgery. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want the surgery. She's like, well, you're booked. We're going to Chicago. So I fly to Chicago, and I meet this doctor. And you know you go to the doctor, and you're not feeling good, and there's like this long list of like 40 symptoms, and you have like six of them, and you're like, oh, that's me. Well, he's going through the 30 symptoms. I'm like, yep, 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 yep. I'm like 30 for 30. Like, do it on me. Like, here, full on, I have this condition. Things like I have hiccups. They last like eight or nine hours. Um, Like, when you're full, and I say I'm full, I thought you felt like me. Like, you just feel really, really sick all the time after everything you eat. Like, I just thought this was how people lived. So I go there, they do this little thing. They're like, yes, you have this condition. They knock me out, give me injections into my throat. And then I tell you that I have burped more the past month than you could possibly imagine. (laughs) I am a new man. It is a full life change. I'm like, I look forward to eating. Like usually when I teach, I don't eat like all day. If I'm teaching at night, I have like something at 9.30 in the morning. Like I can't eat the rest of the day because I'll feel sick and it'll affect my voice. But one thing they did tell me is that I couldn't raise my voice for about 12 weeks because I, these injections, I can't really control it. But I'm like, but I was asked to preach. And so if I belch in the middle of this sermon, let's just going to grip and rip. You got it? I figure if I can yell at my kids, I can preach, all right? Are we good? So it's going to be interesting. I stand in front of you, a brand new human full of uh, drinking carbonation for the first time in 15 years. It's awesome. It's awesome. Oh, the root beer. Can't, I just tried Sprite one time. I don't know how you guys drink that. It tastes like poison going all the way down. It's like a big hum. Am I doing that? Do I need to move? I'm good. Okay. Let's talk. We're going to continue on this series that we've been in for a while. A lot going on in this series. We've talked a lot about a lot of big, big things. And this morning, we're going to continue on in that. I know last week I was watching. I had the sermon pulled up on my phone. I had it on my counter, and I had my earbuds in. And Tim was talking about Jesus and all these things and all like this. And he was, like, really getting it. And I found myself in my kitchen. I'm, like, pacing. I'm, like, come on. Come on, Tim. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. And I'm, like, like fired up. And I was, like, and I was like I'm going to go prep right now. I'm just going to try to piggyback on where we were 
last week. Are you into that? Are you good? Good. We're ready to go. If I'm going to be up here burping, let's get ready, okay? I had a, a pastor come to the church I'm a part of a few weeks ago, and he said this. I think it's important as we get this, because this is an idea I'm going to give you this morning. We're talking about there's more, that God is more than you think, right? Whatever the idea of God you have is in your mind, he's more than that. Can we agree? No matter how little you think of God, he's more than that. And whether how big and mighty and awesome you think of God, can I tell you, he's more than that. And we live in a culture that says you can have God in your life, that's fine, but it's got to be a small part, right? That part of your life can't invade my part. And I'm here to tell you we serve a God that we can't keep in. Would you agree? He's too big. He's too much for that. So I had a pastor come the other, the other day. He's like, so I want us to take a posture because we're going to talk about an idea that God's more than you think. And very few of you out there would disagree with this idea. And so I don't want us to read verses that we know and ideas that we know and become numb to them simply because we know them. Right? I want us to be like, I had this pastor say, he said, we got to be like Elijah, right? We got to stack the wood. When we come into church, let's stack the wood. We can't call down fire from heaven, but let's be ready for when he does. Can you agree? Let's stack the wood this morning and ask him to be present with us. Are you ready to go? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. God, I pray that you would do what you do through your word, that you would use it to stir us up, that you would use it to convict us, that you would use it to cause us to soar today, Lord God. I pray that your word reaches loudly this morning, and it is what resonates in our soul that speaks to us. Nothing that I have to say or anyone else has to say, Jesus, but whatever you have for us, God, may it reign supreme in this room. Father, I pray that we walk out of this room differently than the way we walked in. We ask this in your name, amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 is where we're going to begin. If you have a Bible, you can open that up. If you have a phone, you can turn that bad boy on and open to Ephesians chapter 14. I want to read this, and I think it's really important. So we read this prayer. To remember what Tim talked to us about last week, he kept saying this phrase over and over and over again. I want us to remember, this is about your life right? These aren't ideas and things and notions. This is your life we're talking about. So when I'm going to read you this prayer, I want you to put yourself in it. I don't want you to think this is something that's being read over me. No, no, no. I want you to realize what it's saying. And this is about your life. This is about our church, about our city and our community. Listen to this. It says, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Are you getting the connection here? This is about God and you working together as if God has this plan that involves you being a part of it, working through him. Verse 17 again. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Amen. Would you agree? 19, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. And this part we say together, church, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Would you agree? This is about God getting the glory. He's bigger than you think. Now, I believe in self-help. I'm a big, big proponent of it. I think it is unbelievably important that you and I discover how we're wired. 
what makes us tick, what makes us think, what makes us different, the things about the way we look, where we come from, the things that we know and understand. It's important to know how we are wired, how we deal with conflict, how we find resolution, how we argue, how we grow, how we learn. All these, it's incredibly important. I love like personalities tests, like Myers-Briggs and you know, hey, how many of you know your Enneagram number? Any of you? Yeah, hold your number up, hold your number up. I see a couple twos, you can help me with this. Ones, you're gonna tell me if I'm doing it wrong. Fours, fours, you have a better idea of how to hold your hand up. How many sevens I got, any partiers out there? Yeah, I'm a textbook five, I'd rather just go to my room and not see you guys ever again. I love this, I love this, right? I love figuring out how we're wired. My, uh, my wife and I, we actually have an Enneagram coach for our business where she comes in and she helps us coach us and our employees because we want to know how to talk to them the best way they can hear us, right? I don't want messages to get mixed and crossed. If there's conflict, I want to know how we're going to deal with it, how we're going to grow. I love this kind of stuff. Learning about how you're wired matters. I, I don't think you'll find a bitter, bigger proponent in the church of therapy than me. Go to therapy. Find a place to go to therapy. Talk to someone, go to therapy. Can I give Christians permission to go to therapy? Go to therapy. Make it a priority. Skip Chili's and use the money on therapy. I've been going for nine years. Same guy. And this week I was like, I talked to him. I was like, haven't we been talking? He said, you know, we've been talking about this for nine years. And I was like, was I in that big of a hole? He was like, yep. I was like, that's what I needed to hear. Go. I'm a proponent. Go do it. My wife and I, we go once a month together when things are good. And when she, I'm really getting on her nerves, we go more than that. It's a priority. Work on yourself. Discover yourself. Invest in yourself. I believe that's important. And I also believe that the best version of Caleb is found when I'm living out verse 16 of chapter, Ephesians chapter 3. I believe the best version of Caleb is when my strength is found through the power of God's spirit. That's the best version of Caleb. The self-discovering Caleb is you're good the way you are. Yes, but the best version of me is found when God's spirit is working through me. The best version of me is when God is working through me and to him be the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. The best version of Caleb is when I'm the least amount of concern about the mark that I'm gonna make while here on this planet and I'm more concerned about advancing the kingdom for the glory of God. That's the best version of Caleb. Both things can be true, friends. That whatever we do, like you get this, like this is not about our glory. Anything in your life about getting it for your glory and what you deserve, all these things, we have to remove that and understand that everything we do is through the spirit of God and to him be the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Live, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten, and may the name of Jesus be known a little bit more because you and I walk this planet. That's it. That's it, friends. Because he's more than you think. So when I say that God is more than you think, you know, so often we serve a God, and when you think of God, you think of Jesus and his ministry, and he comes across as humble all the time, right? It's like, don't you ever want to tell someone how great God is, but every story you look at, he's humbling himself, right? My God's so great, he, he let himself be murdered. <laughs> My God's so great, he washed people's feet. You know, my God's so great that he was led to like, like the slaughter and he did not open his mouth. My God's so great and so big, he did all this and yet he stood silently. And my God's so great that everywhere they went, they hated him. And sometimes I'm like, God, I just wish you would flex. I just want you to flex. But you know, he does once in scripture. He flexes big. 
And if we're going to talk about this idea that God is more than you think, shouldn't we begin and let God flex a little bit? All right, let's, I, I, like, don't you remember, like, God is really, 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 really big. When I talked about he's more than you think, let me remind you how big God is. There's this guy named Job, right? And he's complaining and everything's gone wrong for Job and things have all fallen apart. And God takes this moment and, he, and Job's like, I need you to do more, God. I need you to do more, God. I need you to be bigger, God. I need you to do more things, God. And God just like had it. And he's like, hey, shut your mouth. Brace yourself. Let me tell you something. Can I tell you about the bigness of our God, church? He says this, church, hey, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand, church. That's my God. He says, who marked off its dimension? Surely you know. I love, he's also sarcastic, and that's a very biblical thing for all of you sarcastic people out there. <laughs> who stretched a measuring line across it? Like, isn't it fun to see God flex? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstones? Where were the, while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set doors and bars its place, when I looked at the sea and said, this far you may come and no farther. Where, here's where your proud waves halt. That's our God, right? Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of garment. The wicked are denied their light. Their upright arms are broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. Whew, I love it. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you, take the, can you take them to their places? Do you know the dwelling paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born, for you have lived so many years. <laughs> have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? This is the way to the place, or what is the way to the place where lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and the path of the thunderstorms to a water or land where no man lives, a desert with no one in it, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and to make it sprout with grass? Does, there, does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice, whose birth and the frost from the heavens, when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the beautiful palades? Can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their season or lead the bear out with its cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with the flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you and say, here we are? Who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? Who is the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heaven when dust becomes hard and the clouds of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thicket? Who provides food for the raven when the youngs cry out to God for their lack of water? Guys, there's three more chapters of this. Do you get it? That's how big our God is. The lightning reports and says, where do you, are you, are we giving God credit for his work? Are we recognizing God's work all around us? And when you flip on the discovery channel and you see that wildebeest get taken out by the lion, God's like, yeah, I did that too. That's actually me. When you go outside in the mornings to take your dog out and you step in the grass and it's soaking wet and you're like, ah, God fathers the dew as well. When the winds blow and the earth shatters, when the bears come forth and all these things. Do you understand what he says? It says, uh, who gives 
the heart wisdom and the mind ability to think, do you realize that heart and mind that you question the things of God with, he granted you that ability? That's the size of our God. Whatever he is to you, he's more than you think. He's more than you think, and he's doing more than you think all around you. Like there's constant examples in scripture where God is doing more than people realize, right? He's constantly doing more than you think he is. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is a story of Joseph. I feel like I tell it everywhere I go, right? This young kid, things go really bad for him. His brothers sell him. Uh, he gets sold to a, sla a slave owner. He works his way up. Uh, he gets uh, falsely accused of rape. He's thrown in jail. He interprets dreams. Some guy says, I'll get you out of jail. They forget about him for two years. He's rotting away for two years. He gets out finally. He's raised his position next to Pharaoh. And yet even that, he's living in this incredibly racist society. He lives this entire time in isolation and alone. And lo and behold, 22 years later, his brothers who sold him into slavery show up and they come face to face. And they don't recognize Joseph. And there's like some back and forth. And Joseph's like kind of messing with them. And finally, he reveals himself to them. And you would think in this moment, he was like, look what you did to me. I've been suffering for 22 years. In Genesis 45, what he actually says is this. Throw that bad boy up there. He sees him. He can no longer take it. And he says this in Genesis 45, starting in verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. What? That's our natural response, right? Verse six, for two years now, there's been a famine in the land and for the next five years, they'll be plowing, no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant of earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph was well aware that all around him, God's hand was doing things when you wouldn't even believe it, couldn't possibly see it. And friends, isn't it time we start, if you really wanna grasp that God is bigger and doing more than you think, isn't it time to start giving him credit for the things that he's doing that you're not paying attention to? I mean, if I told you to, I want you to sit down and I want you to actually make a list right now, get out a piece of paper and make a list of everything that God did to you to get you to this point this morning, there wouldn't be enough paper. We don't give him credit for that, right? Did you have breakfast this morning? Here's, here's the thing. Sometimes I think we don't see God because we're not asking to see God because we really don't need him all the time. We want him, but we don't actually, we live in America. We don't need him for things. Do you need God to provide your food? Or can you do that on your own? Because you have a job and you have a vehicle that got you here and you have children that you can provide for and you can, and God's like, whoop, actually I did all of that. All of it's mine. All of it's mine. That child that you love so much, I made it in its mother's womb. I fit it together. I gave it to you. It's mine. Your ability to feed that child, that job you love so much, I gave it to you. I mean, what, is it, what does it say in Esther, right? For such a time as this, I gave it to you. Everything. If you actually made a list of everything that God did, guys, there wouldn't be enough paper in the world. Your phone doesn't have enough memory to write that long of a note. Of everything that God did to lead you to this moment, he's doing things all around you and we don't even see it. Do you understand when we talk about the Bible says he takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for good? Yeah. Whew, I gotta stop talking so fast, I'm gonna burp. <laughs> <laughs> 
A few months ago, um, my wife and I were praying when we saw on the news um, about Afghan refugees coming to Oklahoma. And we decided and felt the Lord called us to sponsor an Afghan family. And so uh, we did, or she filled every, all the paperwork out. I just was like, let's do it, let's go. Um, she did all the work. And we met this wonderful family. Uh, the parents our age, they have four wonderful children and a baby on the way. And um, they helped out Americans in their life over in Afghanistan. And because of that, the, someone knocked on their door in the middle of the night and said, here's a bag, fill it up. We gotta get you out of here. You guys are being hunted. And they loaded their stuff up and went to the airport, flew over here a couple of days later. We're living in a hotel room. And, um, and through our business and our community of people, many of you, we've been able to give them a home. Uh, we've been able to get them furniture, got their kids in school. The new baby is here, um, getting them formula, getting them jobs and a vehicle and all the things that just helping them in their life get acclimated to here. And um, why am I telling this story? Because the um, number one country on this planet Earth with the fewest amount of Christians in it, the estimation, the, few, the country, number one country in all of Earth, the fewest amount of Christians is Afghanistan. The highest in estimations, there's about 10,000 Christians in all of Afghanistan. And by the way, that was before ISIS took over and most of those have been murdered. Every pastor has been publicly executed, all of them that was left. So when I say that God has brought 100,000 Afghans to our country and 2,000 of them to our city, God took what the enemy meant for evil and that is evil, what is happening. That is evil, friends. They tell us, Would you, we have to find a way to get our family here. They're being tortured, they're starving. That's evil. And God took what the enemy meant for evil and he placed them into a city where you can't throw a rock and don't know someone that knows about God. Yeah. That's a miracle, friends. That's what the enemy is like, look what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy a country that most people don't care about. And he is, and God is not present at all in that country before what happened a year ago. And now is even less so when God's like, sometimes God says, says what in scripture, right? I want you to go to the ends of the earth. And sometimes Christians need to wake up and God's like, don't worry, I got you. I'm going to send the ends of the earth right here to this city. That's what God does. That's the working in the hand of God that's happening all around us that we've got to ask God, would you make us aware of your working so we can step into, do you understand in Hebrews? So it tells you to fit yourself with the armor of God, what he's talking about. He's saying, what would happen if we fit ourselves with the shoes or the readiness of the gospel and we walk? You know what would happen if your mind was on the gospel with every step you took? I bet you'd encounter a lot more opportunities to share the gospel. I bet that's what would happen. If God, make me aware of all that you're working, if that was actually a cry of our heart, God, would you make me aware of all that you're doing? Guess what? I bet we'd see that he's doing a lot more than we think. That's what I bet. Because friends, he's still doing miracles everywhere you look. If you just open your eyes to see him. I have a good, good friend of mine, a dear friend, a mentor of mine, someone I look up to so much. He used to be my coach. He's now a missionary in South Africa. Oh, his family's here. Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, there. yeah, friends. He's a missionary in South Africa. In this past year, the economy has been, in the U.S. has been hit pretty hard and he's lost a lot of support. A lot of people sponsoring him. And he, he put out a message the other day and I was like, 
I read it and I was like, oh, I just, I was like, Lord Jesus, thank you for people like this. He, he, he read this post and he's like, you know, I was really worried about how God was, how we were going to be able to provide, how we we're going to have food for my family. Can we continue this mission through this? And he said this sentence and he blew me away. He's like, and then the Lord told me, hey, don't worry. I still know the recipe for manna. Like God still knows the recipe for manna. He does friends. And if the, can I ask you this? When's the last time you asked God for manna from heaven? You ask God, hey, God, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. No, 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 God. I want you to give what only you can give. God, do something that's physically impossible for me. I can't do it, God. There is no way. God, would you give us manna? And he's like, don't worry. I still know the recipe. Friends, I believe that if we were to look for it, here's what I believe. What you look for, you will find. Are we as a church looking for the right things. Are we asking God, the spirit of God to fall on this church? Or are we asking God for the spirit of God to fall on this city? Which one are we asking for? I want him to fall on our city, friends. That's why every ministry we have is pointing out, not in. We're going to go. God is working all around us. God, would you give this church eyes to see it, Father? And we be aware that you're doing more than we think. He's doing more than we think, friends, even when he's not. I mean, have you been there? I mean, the first thing I thought when Tim and I talked about this was, what about when God doesn't do more than we think? Has anyone ever experienced this? Uh, I'm in going, starting my ninth year of coaching football uh, this year. I know you can tell I look like a football coach. I definitely have the build <laughs> and the biceps for it. Um, <clears throat> Sorry, my ninth year of coaching, and I love it. We've had some highest of highs and lowest of lows. We took a, a perennial three-win football team to a perennial playoff contender, state championship appearances, high highs. It's been awesome. And we've had some low lows. About four years ago, a couple weeks after our playoff loss, uh, we had a basketball game. A lot of people were at. Two of my boys, were, they left. They were going from one person's house to another, and they stopped at a stop sign an intoxicated driver going just as fast as I could, didn't stop and kill both my boys instantly. And I remember sitting in that auditorium right over there. I still remember the sermon that Tim preached and I, at the end of it, I physically couldn't stand at the end of that sermon. I physically couldn't stand, I hurt so bad. I remember calling the locker room together a few hours before and telling them, the boys, what happened. And I remember sitting in church next to my wife just our friends, Kinsey and Ross, were behind us. And I, remember, I still remember they put their hands on me in that moment. I just, I can't tell you what that meant to me. It was a, a sign of God's like, I will sustain you. Because that's what God promises, right? He says, I will sustain you. He doesn't promise that all things will be made better now. He says, one day all things will be made new. But right now the world we live in is broken because of sin. But God promises, I will sustain you through that. And that hand on my back was God sustaining me. And I was like, Lord, in that moment, he did more than he I thought he would, even when I wanted a different result. And one of my roles as a coach is to go out onto the field uh, when a player is kind of down and hurt. And I go find out if my boy is hurt or if he's injured. You know what I mean? The difference in this, hurt and injured. Any athletes get that? Like, right, like hurt means like, ooh, that hurt. And I'm like, all right, get your butt in the game. Let's go. Come on, shake it off. You know, I'll, I'll care about you tomorrow. Get it going. But if you're injured, let's get off the field. Let's figure it out. I'll get you to the doctor, all these things like that. And uh, it was two years after the other accident, and one of my boys, nothing happened. I was like, what's going on? He must be cramping. And so 
I run out of the field to see if he's cramping, and I'm yelling his name. I'm like, hey, and I'm yelling his name. And I was like, hey, you all right? You all right? You cramping? You cramping? Sit up. Sit up. And I run, and he kind of rolls over, and I grab him in my arms. And uh, like a moment, I just knew. I call for the doctor, and we call an ambulance. And, and uh, he goes to the hospital, and all night long, I cry out, God, I need you to do more. I can't have this again. God, I need you to do more. I'm just crying out in my living room. God, I need you to do more. I need you to do more. And then I got the call that God didn't do more. He was gone. And our other coach went with the family, and I had to call my boys to the locker room for the second time in two years and tell them we just lost our brother, a player. And I was holding on like, God, I believe you can do more. Why didn't you? And it wasn't until his funeral when I heard his dad say, you know, the only one who wants to change this outcome, the only one who doesn't want to change this outcome is my son. The only one that wouldn't have wanted things to work out this way is my son. Because my son is in the presence of a king. My son is at a place so amazing that what we cherish here on earth, this thing of gold that people chase after, it's so meaningless in heaven. It's what we line the streets with. Friends, hang on. He said, we're going to hang on to the promise of heaven that even when God didn't do for us, he did. That even when God doesn't come through like you want him to. That even when God didn't do more, he did, friends. He's already done it. That's, can I give you this? If you're in this room and you've said yes to Jesus, if you've been reborn, renewed, restored by the grace of Jesus, eternal life is not something you and I are looking forward to. It's something we're living in right now. That's something we're living in. This is why death is not part of the equation for those of us. We hang on to the promise of heaven that even when God didn't do more, he did more than you could ever imagine. Guess a request through a son, Jesus, for those of us said yes to Jesus. Even when we didn't do more, he's doing more. And that truth, that sustaining truth, is why I chase after this idea so much of what God could do more through you than you could ever imagine, friends. And that's a sentence we say a lot in church, right? It's not the first time you've heard this. Have you been around? God could do you more through you. I want to look at this verse in Matthew. It says this, a verse that you're like, oh, yeah. And it says this, a verse, Matthew 17, 20. It says, he replied, Jesus is speaking, because you have so little faith. He says, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain from here to move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, that's a verse that many of you have heard. Would you agree? Now, does that verse really hit home? No, right? What are you picturing? We don't have mountains. We have Mount Scott, but that's just like a really big hill in Oklahoma, right? Like when I read this verse, I'm not picturing me going to the Rocky Mountains and be like, I want you to move from here to here. Like that doesn't click in my brain, right? So I want to show you a picture. Throw that bad boy on the screen. Here's a picture, okay? Jesus is talking. This is in Israel, just outside of Jerusalem, Okay? Jesus is standing right around here, these little buildings down here, when he's giving this sermon, when he's telling this story. 
And what you got to understand is see that tall mountain in the back? It didn't used to be so tall. About 10 years before this, the mountain in front of it, the small one that looks like it's been cut off, was actually taller than the one in the back. But the one in the back was in a better strategic position for a palace. So Herod decided that he wanted to build his palace on the back mountain, but he didn't want that mountain to be smaller than the one in front of it. He wanted to reign over Jerusalem and look down. So Herod hires or gets tens of thousands of slaves to work 24-7 all day and all night for over 10 years to physically cut off the top of that mountain and move it bucket by bucket to the back mountain and build it up where he built a palace. So Jesus, and there's mustard that grows all over Israel. Jesus is sitting there talking, they're, they're having such little faith. And he's like, why aren't you guys getting it? Don't you ever feel like Jesus does that with us? Sometimes like, I, like sometimes we read the Bible and like, he's so brilliant. And other times it's like, he knows that we're idiots and we're gonna be like, what do you mean? He's like, okay, let's say you're a sheep and I'm a shepherd. And we're like, oh, it makes sense now. Jesus is talking and he's talking about little faith and like, we don't understand. What do you mean? We don't, it doesn't take a lot of faith and you can do big things. And he's like, yeah, giant things God can do through you. They're like, like how big? And he looks at this mountain that's been moved and he picks up this tiny mustard seed and says, do you see with this tiny bit of faith, you alone could do that. And they're like, well, I mean, I assume many in the crowd were part of the slaves that moved the mountain. Isn't the Bible really cool? Like when you get into it and see what Jesus is doing, maybe I just think that's cool. This is what he's talking about. He makes it tangible right there for them. Do you realize what you could do? Big, giant things. If your feet are ready with the gospel, do you not realize the kind of impact that you could have, friends? That God could do more through you than you could ever imagine, guess, or request in your wildest dreams. That's the kind of impact and faith that God's calling you to. So let's give you an example, right? The year is 18, uh, well, actually, let's talk about this. In 1 John chapter 1, it says this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 40, it says this. Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him that we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. How many of you know about Peter. We know about Peter, probably the most famous of all the disciples, correct? He was the one who walked on water, cut a dude's ear off, denied God, came back. And then he was the leader of the first church. Do you know why we know so much about Peter? Because Peter was invested in by Jesus. Do you know how Peter got invested in by Jesus? Because his brother took him to Jesus. That's why. Everything that Peter did was a result of Andrew's ministry. Andrew took someone to Jesus, and Jesus made that person the leader of the church. When I tell you faith of a mustard seed could have giant over, do you realize what God could do to the people that you impact? Bigger than you could ever imagine, more than you think. A shoe salesman in 1858, there's a guy working at a shoe store, right? And there's a guy outside the store pacing around, pacing back and forth and back and forth. And it was this Sunday school teacher. Right? He taught this class at a church, and he's pacing back and forth, and he felt the Lord telling him to go share the gospel with this kid who works at the store. And he didn't want to do it. He fought God the whole day, and finally, before the store closed, he's like, I'm going to go do it. So he's pacing around the store. He's getting really nervous, getting really nervous, and finally, he's like, all right, I got to go in. And he walks in the door, and he's like, uh, so-and-so here, and they're like, yeah, he's in the back room. He goes, and he finds in the back room. He's like, hey, I just felt like I need to come and do this, and he shares the gospel with this kid. And this kid says yes to Jesus. 
And that kid's name was Dwight L. Moody. Okay, I don't know if you've ever heard of D.L. Moody, but he's one of the most famous evangelists that's ever lived. That kid that, who worked in that shoe store went on to preach all across the world to crowds in the 1800s of 15 to 30,000 people telling him the good, name, good news of Jesus. Everywhere he went. And in that crowd, there was a guy named Frederick Meyer, and he gave his heart to the Lord, and he began a preaching ministry. And through his ministry, there was a guy who showed up named Chapman, who was already a believer, but decides, I'm going to go where I live and start a preaching ministry where I live. So Chapman goes around, he's like, I need more people to help me. So he hires a guy named Billy Sunday. He's a retired baseball player. Billy Sunday becomes one of the greatest evangelists in all of America. He's traveling, he tells people all about Jesus, and, he, and he's like, he's getting so many requests to go to so many different towns. He's like, I can't I can't preach all these places at once because they're riding, you know, via horse. And uh, he's like, I got to go. I, gotta need, I need more help. And so he hires his buddy Mordecai to come preach with him. And Mordecai goes, he's, he's preaching in South Carolina one night. He sends Mordecai to North Carolina and he preaches. And there's this little kid who comes to this sermon. His name's Bill Frank. And he shows up and he gives his heart to the Lord. And Bill Frank is known to us as a guy named Billy Graham who's led more people to Jesus than anyone you could ever imagine. All because one dude went into a shoe store and told someone about Jesus. Do you understand what I mean by the mustard seed? I mean, friends, when God is telling you that the faith of a mustard seed, that he could do more through you than you could possibly imagine, do you have any idea the impact the conversation you had this week with your coworker could do? Do you really believe that God could do more with it than you could ever imagine? It's time to start asking him to do more. I know this, right? Because there was a drug addict who was two days sober who walked into a church service. And a guy walked up to him and said, I heard you're two days sober. And he said, I am. He said, do you want to meet and talk about the Bible? And the guy said, I did. And the guy never touched drugs ever again. He got married and had three kids. And his youngest kid is up here telling you right now that the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. That's why I believe that. I really believe it. Church, if we really believe that God could do this, why, I mean, what would stop us? Friends, if we could see... What happens when we pray? We would never stop praying. If God would show us what happens when we seek the Almighty, and that amen that we say, that is, not a, that is a so be it. It is not an end to our dialogue with the Almighty. It is saying, God, I pray this, and so be it till I talk to you again. If we could see what happens when we pray, we'd never stop praying. If we could see, if God would show us what happens when it's the results of his children pouring themselves out to our city, we wouldn't wait till I finish the sermon. You'd run out of here and get to work. I really believe this, friends. I believe that he's more than you think he is. I believe he's more. I believe he is more. I believe he's doing more. And I believe he wants to do more through you. Whatever your vision is of God, he's more. And the incredible thing about God's grace is he doesn't care how little you think about him. Doesn't care. He doesn't care how much you question him. He does not care how much you think he's wrong. He doesn't care how far you've strayed. Nothing you could ever do would make him love you less. Nothing. And that's difficult because our default position as strugglers is to believe that God is disappointed and frustrated in us. Would anyone agree? that God is simply tolerating us. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 says this. He says, no, no, no. Before the earth's foundation was laid, he was going to adopt you and make you holy and blameless in a sight. So friends, whether you're having a good day or a difficult day, God is not going to abandon you in this season. Now, how amazing does that make our God, right? 
that in our inability to live out all that he's called us to, he continues to pour out onto us his grace. Listen to this, Ephesians 1, 7 says this. It says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So I love that word, lavish, like it's ridiculous amount, right? Like it's way, it's over the top. It's out of control. Men and women of God who are in Christ, but struggling, listen, God does not regret saving you. He doesn't regret it. You haven't surprised him with the way in which you live your life. God's not watching how you are this week, watching how you stumble and fall, watching how you struggle and regretting to pay the price for you in full. You have no sin, past, present, or future that's got more power than the blood of Jesus Christ. None. This means that your salvation wasn't a past event alone. It doesn't mean that Christ is continuing to save you. He didn't forgive your past sins and leave it up to you and me to conquer our present and future sins which means it doesn't matter how you walked in this room. God wants to rescue you. God wants to save you. He wants to pour out and lavish his grace upon you. This is the grace that's more than you could ever think. So my prayer this morning, as I say every time I'm up here, is that we will walk out of this room differently than the way we walked in. And how do we do that in this a sermon that's just about how big God is. Well, could you say yes to something? Could you maybe recognize that? I need to say yes to them. And here's what I believe. I believe there's someone in this room, people in this room that have never said yes to that grace that's been lavished upon you. That ridiculous, unbelievable grace. There are people in here that don't have the hope of heaven to hold on to. Can I, t- can I give you this encouragement? Can I tell you that there's nothing in the world that anybody else in this room would care more about than you saying yes to that grace of Jesus? There is nothing that can make us more fired up than that. Church, do you agree? <laughs> nothing, nothing that can fire us up more than that. Let's walk out of here differently than the way we came in. I'm gonna ask you right where you are. Just, just where you are. Well, I don't wanna waste any time. Just close your eyes right where you are. Here, here's what it is. If you wanna experience that grace that God's given you, that lavished upon grace, that ridiculous amount, but way too much, the over-the-top grace. I'll lead you in a prayer right now. It's just as easy. You just got to mean it with all your heart. All you got to do is say, Father God, in the best way I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I put my trust in you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for pouring out your grace onto me. I promise I will never be the same again. Friends, if you're in this room and you just said that prayer, we're gonna have people at the front that would love to pray with you. And I'm here to tell you that whatever your vision of what God did, he just did more. Whatever you think that grace looks like, it's more. However different you think he can make your life, it's more. However better you think your life would be with him, it's more, friends. Maybe you're in this room and you've said yes to Jesus in the past, but you go back to that Ephesians 3, you're right, like, I want to give God all the glory. Maybe you've been hanging on some of that, some of that God's glory for yourself. Say, yes, God, I want to give it away. I want you to be glorified through everything I do. Maybe you would say that, God, I need to be aware. God, would this morning, would you make me aware of the work that you're doing all around me? Jesus, would you come and do work? Make me aware of it, God. I need to see you, God. Let me see the work that's all around you. Would you open my eyes to see your work, Jesus? 
And may you make me a part of it. Friends, would you make that your prayer this morning? God, I want to be a part of what you're doing in our city, in our country, in our world, Jesus. God, would you make us a part? Friends, may we not want God this morning. May we desperately need him. That's our prayer. God, would you give me confidence? God, maybe you would say, I need faith. I need mountain moving size faith. Jesus, would you make me an Andrew? Would you make me a Kimball? Would you give me opportunities to impact people? That they would impact people and they would impact people and they would impact people and your kingdom would be advanced to the readiness of the gospel that's on my feet. God, may we move mountains this morning. God, would you make, give us faith to trust that your ways are better. God, would we be overwhelmed by the love and grace that you lavished upon us. God, I pray for this church now as we respond. Maybe we need to come down and pray. Maybe we need to talk to somebody. Maybe we just need to come down and hit our knees and say, God, would you just overwhelm me with how great you are? Maybe we need to say, God, I'm sorry for not realizing everything you've done. God, thank you for the dew and thank you for the rain and thank you for the wind. God, I recognize that you're so big. God, would you give me mountain moving size faith? Would you use me to be the hands and feet of your kingdom, Jesus? That's our prayer this morning as we worship God. And friends, I end with this prayer for you again. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derive his name. OKC Community Church, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, church, with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Church, and I pray that you, that Oklahoma City Community Church, the people here, that we would be rooted and established in love, that we may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And that we, us to know the love that surpasses knowledge. Church, that you would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen, church. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.